Hello and welcome to the Fill Me Up podcast. I am Steve Walker and this is the show to help fuel your discussions about film. So last week I said it's kind of cold because it's British summertime. Well, this week it is not that cold. It is very, very hot. Um, at the moment it's not too bad, but I've been in shorts all week and I've been cooking in my room. So I am probably ready to be taken out and stuffed and plucked. Um, but um, in terms of films, uh, the bit I feel like the big thing this week is uh, cinemas seem to be announcing opening like some some cinemas uh, across the world are actually open uh, in the UK. Um, they're having some chains are opening on the fourth of July. Some are open on the tenth of July. But but generally across the world, there are moves being taken to reopen the cinema. Um, and in the UK, there has been uh, talk of a strategy to try and get people back into the cinema to entice them in. Um, and cinemas are going to be able to pick i well i guess because everything that i've read about it is basically said 451 films coming back to cinemas but i think but surely a cinema can't show all of those so i'm guessing that they get to pick from them um there's popular franchises such as harry potter the dark knight trilogy back to the future all all of them are coming back there's also some films that kind of came out earlier in the year and that people might not have got to see and like some from the root kind of recent years um i don't know i i don't know how i feel about this because i'm definitely want to get back to the cinema because uh it's it's for me it is the quintessential place to view a film i don't like viewing them at home necessarily for me uh if i'm gonna watch something on the tv it's gonna be a tv show that's why it's called a tv show uh it's not called a tv film uh there are tv films but i don't want to watch them it's generally they're bad but uh, it's a feature film. I want to watch it in a cinema. Uh, but I don't know if this is too soon. Um, cause a lot of people are, a lot of people are sort of at work, but a lot of people are still working from home. There's still kind of things happening. I guess maybe by the time, well, I mean, it's only like a week or two away. So, but, and I guess there will be obviously like social distancing in place and kind of hand washing and, and everything's going to be like extra clean and stuff, but I don't know. I I don't feel that most people are going to go back, even though that there is all these films. People have them already. Like if you like the Harry Potter films, you've got them already. If you like Back to the Future, you've watched it already. Like I don't feel that many people are going to go to the cinema to watch them. Like risk going and getting the virus by going out to a cinema to see a film they've already probably got on DVD or whatever. Um, and even stuff that's come out earlier in the year has been released on demand or you can pay for it or whatever. So even stuff that people might have gone back to see, like I personally would go back to the cinema because I haven't seen like Onward yet. I haven't seen Bloodshot. I haven't seen The Hunt. I haven't seen a few films from earlier in the year that I do want to go and see. And so I would go back to see those. I wouldn't go to see, like, Back to the Future or whatever, because I've already seen it. But I would go to see the films that I haven't seen. I wouldn't necessarily go to see a film that came out, I don't know, in, like, the 90s that I haven't seen. I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, something. Um, but, and I, but I just don't think that people are going to be enticed to go out to the cinema because, because everything's available at home now. I mean, that was a big... People were talking about, like, with the netflix and streaming services and stuff that people were there was a worry that people are weren't going to go to the cinema as much anyway um but now everyone's been at home for ages and they've got used to being at home and got used to watching stuff at home i think it's going to be harder way harder to get people to go out and i think there has been talk of um this you need like this big film to get everybody in you need to hype it up you need this is going to be the big thing that kicks it off and everyone's talking about tenet being that film it was supposed to come out of the third, like mid July, then it was pushed back to the end of July, and now it's now that's been pushed back again to mid August, and I just don't think that people are going to go to the cinema to see things unless it's something new and unless it's something big. So I think that I don't think people are going to go back until Tenet comes out. Really, like. Like I said, that I I will potentially go to see films that I haven't seen already, 
uh, from earlier in the year, but I wouldn't go to see anything else. And I feel like I'm an exception that would go to this. I, I don't feel many people are going to go until you get like your Tenet or your Mulan or your Black Widow. I feel that they're the films that are going to bring people out to the cinema. And I mean, obviously, lots of people work in this industry. Lots of people uh, rely on their jobs and, and the cinema's making money to, to keep their their to put food on the table and stuff but it is in the grand scheme of things it's not one of the the big things that you you would want uh you don't need them to be open there's it's one of the last things that you kind of need to be open but um yeah i mean like i say it's it, it well i think it's gonna be hard to get people to come back but i guess in a way it's almost kind of good that that's the case because you're gonna have to have social distancing so you're only gonna have like at least half maybe even less uh, people in this cinemas at one time so um i don't know maybe maybe this will work in the long run and maybe it'll just kind of tide tide the cinemas over a little bit um but yeah i don't know like i say I, i'll go and see some stuff i guess but um i'm not i'm not in any huge rush to go um and i don't think many other people will <laughs> So we're moving on to Alpha Set. Um, this is the section of the show where I look at three films that all begin with the same letter of the alphabet. I've never seen any of these films before. And this week, we're looking at G. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, at AllOutWalker, you will know that I am doing a, a good trilogy um, this week because uh, all these films begin with good. Um, maybe they're not all good in quality. Spoiler alert. I don't think they are, but um, yeah, we're we're doing we're doing a good trilogy. I did think about other films, uh, Gangs of New York. Uh, I did think about that. Gattaca. Did think about that. G Force. The Disney live is it live action? The one with the hamsters. I didn't think about that. That just uh, that's just a thing. Garfield. Didn't think about that either. Don't worry. Uh, but what I did think about was the film Good Boys. Good boys, more like good toys. Am I right? Because it's got sex toys in it. That's it's that one. Uh, so this uh, follows the capers of a trio of young lads trying to get to a sixth grade kissing party with the cool kids. Uh, it came out last year, twenty nineteen. Uh, had a budget of twenty million dollars, and it made a hundred and eleven million dollars, which is good numbers because obviously you need, uh, if you have not heard before, you need to make twice the amount of budget that you that is uh, reported because it's usually just the production budget that is reported and you need to account for that sweet marketing um uh in terms of reviews and things it's also got good numbers it's got a 6.7 on imdb and 80 percent on rotten tomatoes and i myself i've written 7 out of 10 here but i think i'd give it an 8 out of 10 i think it's very good at what it does i mean hats off to the trio of young actors they're very believable as a group of friends I mean, it's not the best acting in the world. Um, I mean, they are still child actors at the end of the day, and there is a kind of stigma of child actors not being great. But I don't think that the acting does need to be great in a film like this. Um, And I think some of that um, kind of, I don't know, bad acting in a way is sort of used to good comedic effect. Like, it's purposefully bad acting at times in terms of, like, when someone's crying or something. And it works well. Um... I think it does a solid job at portraying the life and the troubles of a teenager. Um, a teenager, for those that aren't aware, a teenager is uh, a kid that is 11 or 12. And they're not quite, they're, they're not a girl, but they're not yet a woman. They are, uh, as Britney Spears will put it, uh, they are 11 and 12. They're not quite a teenager. Um, but I think it does a great, great job at portraying them because it, they misunderstand a lot of stuff. There's obviously a lot of like sexy stuff that they misunderstand, which provides a lot of comedy. Um, but I do think that this, like everything involved, makes it for a fun watch because it's just so ridiculous. This film, that, like as a kid, like you would look at the, the, at the actions of like <clears throat> the cool kids and you'd be like, oh yeah, they're they're amazing. But you just watch it as an outsider. I mean, it's obviously overplayed for for a comedy film, but the popular kids and like the stuff that they got up to just seems so pathetic. Like they're like, oh, how many sips of beer can you do? Like three's the record. Oh my god! And it's like, ah, oh. 
like it doesn't it just seemed kind of stupid but at that sort of age that's that's what happens and those are your worries um i think the plot is very good it's it escalates a bit ludicrously but kind of believably i guess it's sort of in this kind of world where this sort of i mean a lot of these comedy films are you know in a kind of a weird world where coincidences happen and things happen quite quickly and and things do escalate quickly. Um, I think the use of kid logic is fantastic. Kind of the way that they decide to solve problems and things that obviously that often leads to things going wrong or escalations and things like that. Um, but like I said, it does seem very relatable from what I remember from my teenage years. Um, so yeah, I think the supporting cast is great. Um, in terms of the parents and, and kind of the other adults, uh, I think they do a brilliant job with the little time they have. There's one set of parents that are getting a divorce. Um, they provide some levity at some point um, because you you see all the little glances and things between them. Um, but they do also provide some heart um, when they have like a nice sit down with their, with their kid and talk it through. Um, and I also think the girls next door are good foils for them. Like the, the actual like teenage, there's the, like, I don't know, I think 16 or 17 or something. And I think they, they are very good. Oh, my phone's just gone off. I don't know whether you heard that, but um, yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was very good. Um, and they're, they're already good in it. I think that there's a lot of subversion uh, in terms of kind of, you get these kind of, it does a good job at getting the generic action film sort of beats and then doing a bit of a submersion on that. Submersion? Subversion. Um, a lot of the time it's because you're getting kids doing things and so it just makes it kind of funny. Um, uh, there's a moment, there's a specific scene uh, in a frat house which I think is terrific. Um, there's not many kind of arty shots in this but they managed to use some slow motion and there's some very well shot and uh, cut together action scene and it's i think it's very well done um and and it's hilarious um i mean i don't one thing that i wanted to mention is the music i mean i don't usually talk about music um but i just think that in this film i thought that they were fantastic choices i think they match the mood of the film so well there's a lot of kind of rap music to kind of be to kind of show confidence in the the badassness of them but like you you would have like the the pan out and it's like oh they're just they're walking really funny or something um, and i think it's great i think there's a lot of points where where that music is sort of playing where the kids are acting tough or bad but it's and you, they're obviously oblivious to it, how ridiculous it is and they're so brazen but it just works so well um there's a lot of little funny callbacks in it as well look out for the cpr dummy the sex toys come into it quite a bit um but I think there's some nice little lessons to learn from the end as well. I mean, obviously not. I mean, this is an R-rated film, so it's for adults. And adults will already know these sort of lessons. But I think it's kind of a... It, it's it's nice to see them in there and pep, to, for them to be peppered in. Um, So, uh, the three child actors that uh, are the leads, they were actually given a bunch of words in the script that they didn't understand. Um. And the directors wouldn't tell them what they are. They just had to say them and said to ask their mums, which I think is really funny. Uh, so like a lot of their kind of dialogue or whatever that they actually say and like ideas that they have, I guess, are, are actual reactions to things. Um, also, the school that's used in the film uh, is actually the actor Jacob Tremblay, who plays one of the trio. It's his actual school, which I think is interesting. Um and in one of the scenes inside the school, an extra in it actually showed his actual locker with his actual school books. There's lots of actuals in there. Um, and also another fun fact, this is the first R-rated film to be advertised as having sexual content, drug and alcohol use and language. That's not the that's not the interesting thing. It's also not the first one to have those things, but it's the first one to have all of those things all involving tweens, which I think is fun. Also, they're using the word tween, which I think is nice. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think very, very funny and and just excellent use of uh, kid logic and kid knowledge and thing. And I think it's just brilliant. Um, but yeah, film number two is Good Time. Good Time, more like good crime because it's a crime film. There's lots of crime. They're doing crimes. Uh, it follows the struggle of a bank robber who is trying to free his mentally handicapped brother and evade capture. Um 
This came out in 2017. Had a fairly small budget of 4.5 million. Uh, only made 3 million at the box office, which isn't uh, which isn't good. Um, but I reckon it might have been because it's a limited release. Um, though I did see some uh, differing figures that it had two million dollar budget and made four million, which would be fine. But I don't. I I'm going off the source that I tend to use. Um, it's got a seven point four on IMDb, a ninety two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I myself give it a seven out of ten. It's non-stop, but it does. I feel like it is a bit meandering at times. Um, so. The main character is played by Robert Pattinson from the most known for the Twilight Saga and now playing Batman. Um, I think he gives a terrific performance. It's kind of a bit against type for him. Um, he's playing like this shady character, but I thought he was just a very believable character. I thought he was really good. The film as a whole, uh, I feel, does a great job at kind of rooting itself in realism. Um, it's got a really consistent tone. It's kind of showing the dark and dirty side of the city. Um, I think it's LA. LA? I think it's LA. Um, there's some really nice bookending scenes with the brother, with the mentally handicapped brother, that I think um, I think they contrast the film really well in kind of in terms of the content and what's in there. And the first thing that I noticed when I started watching this film is the first shot came on, and I don't normally think this, but I was just like, this is... That is a beautiful opening shot. It's such a nice shot. There isn't as many kind of arty scenes in it. Uh, like I say, it's kind of more realist, uh, gritty kind of tone to it. But I think the, I think that that shot was, I don't know. It's not out of place. I wouldn't say um, because it definitely fits in with the style of kind of the start and end scene. But I think it just, it was just a very nice looking shot. Uh, it might not be anything special to you, but I just thought it was. Um, the bank robbery itself, um, I thought was interesting. It was a good, a good little scene. There was no speech in it, which I thought made for a refreshing change. They normally, because they're normally shouting all the time, like "Get down, get down!" But they didn't. There's no, there's none of that at all. It's just passing a a piece of paper across, um, which I think is really cool. Um, it's also the first scene that you see uh, Robert Pattinson having to adapt to the situation obviously not the actor the uh the character you get to see his character adapting to the situation when something kind of goes a little wrong um and as a whole i feel like this whole film is almost a showcase of how capable this guy is um there are potential like when i first when i was watching the scene i was thinking oh are these because they've got they're wearing disguises uh is the it's two white guys and they're wearing uh like a big mask of uh, of kind of with construction workers and they're wearing like black guy faces of uh, black men and it's you I don't know it's I thought maybe is it, is it problematic um, especially given what's what's happening at, at the moment I don't know um, I don't know either way because I don't think that we, it's I don't know I don't think it's not intended to be particularly I don't think it's intended to be offensive or anything. It could be a, it could be just be a mask of a white guy, but I don't, because they weren't doing anything or or anything. It was just like we're going into this thing and we want to be covered up as someone else, and these are slightly believable masks. Um, and it there's no dwelling on it, so I don't necessarily think it is. But I think that in terms of masks, because they do sort of look semi believable, I think they are quite good. Um, Robert Pattinson's character, um, he's. Like I say, he's very capable, but and he's very quick on his feet. He manages to get aid from multiple people. He manipulates people in this film, which is interesting to see. Uh, he also manages to evade cops and impersonate other people uh, and find someone's house. And I mean, the list just goes on. He manages to kind of adapt and think of new things. And like I say, just be really quick on his feet. Um, there's a possibility that maybe... Uh, part of that is because he um, hasn't planned stuff out so well. He's more of a a doer than a thinker, or he's sort of thing. He he's better at the sort of adapting and improvising rather than the planning and scripting and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean that's just sort of conjecture. There's not really any sort of proof to that. Um, 
and I guess part of the reason for that is that there's no real backstory for them. Um, there, there is a little bit of stuff uh, about a possibly abusive grandma that that's in there, but there isn't really anything else. But I don't think it needs it. I don't think that you need any backstory to why these brothers are in the situation where they're robbing a bank. Um, I think it'd be quite easy to to give them a backstory and be like, everything's linked together and there's reasons and things for that. And the past is catching up with them. But I think that's it's, it's kind of been done a lot. And it, it I don't know whether it would be generic, but it would kind of be, I think it might be a bit generic and a bit stale. And I think that, this film just thrives on being all about the here and now. It's almost like a, this is happening in real time almost. Like it's very good at kind of being in the present. And it's it, like I say, it's very much about this character and adapting to the situation. And it's all about the situation as opposed to motivations and things like that. Um, the ending I thought was, I thought it was good, but it was kind of anticlimactic. It's not, I'm not against the idea of the ending, but I think that, I don't know, I was going to say maybe the execution was off a little bit. I don't know. It was just, uh, it was, I, I think I was really gripped in, in the story and kind of wanted to keep going because this film's quite short. It's, it's under an hour and a half. Um, so I think it could have gone on for a little longer. But I think the ending, I think the way that they shot it, they did... Uh, it was kind of a bit more of an arty shot. They did a like a top down, so you're looking out of a, a like an apartment block uh, and seeing like a foot chase going on, um, which I think works on paper. But there's no real like emotional payoff with that. Um, I think maybe, I think maybe it would have been fine if you'd had like an extra scene. Like it doesn't have to be a long one, just like an extra thirty seconds or whatever. That's kind of shows you the toll that the night has had on Robert Pattinson's character and kind of on the relationship with his brother and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but there were some interesting things that I, I read up about it when I was uh, doing a bit of research about it. The, most of the actors that are in this film are actually first-timers um, or they're off the street or whatever. The only real names that are, are kind of ones that are recognised in the film, obviously Robert Pattinson, also Jennifer Jason Lee, who was in Hateful Eight, um, and Barkad Abdi, who was uh, the pirate in uh, Captain Phillips. Um, but they are really kind of small roles. They're only a bit in the film, about five minutes each, which, um, so, like, you could easily have got just nobody, like, non-names in that, in those roles if you wanted. But I think it's, no, but it was interesting because a lot of it was, it was he was moving from place to place and so he's interacting with some people for a little bit and some other people for a little bit and some other people. And I think that that kept, the, like that pace and relentlessness kind of was really good and what kind of helped this film do so well. Um, they did have some permit. obviously you need to get permits to shoot on streets and buildings or whatever. And they did have some, but they did stretch it a little bit. They said that like, if they were allowed to film on like a certain street, they'd try and film like, in the surrounding area as well, like in the whole block. Um, they also didn't tell anyone like the on the street that they were filming. So a lot of the reactions and the, a lot of the stuff where they're, they're on the street and there's people and crowds and stuff, that's actual people. Like there was a chase scene in a mall um, and you are, it, it's actual people's reactions to uh, seeing the police chasing a couple of guys through a mall, which I think is really good. And funny thing is that the cops that they used were actual real cops as well. So I guess even more authenticity. Um, they were, throughout the film, they were amazed that Robert Pattinson didn't get recognised. Obviously, he looks very different um, uh, he, because he's obviously wearing kind of a bit more dishevelled clothes and he's dyed his hair and he's uh, got a bit of a beard and he looks a bit scraggly. But there was no phone pictures at all. No one had taken any photos of him. People just didn't recognise him, which I think they really liked. And I think... Yeah, I think it obviously shows how well that they kind of did the costumes for this for this film. Um, also, speaking of Robert Patterson dyeing his hair, um, there is a point in this film where he dyes his hair, like he bleaches his hair. Um, but because of like shooting schedules, he had to go from like black hair to bleached hair, and then back to black hair, and then back to bleached hair, and so he's all he's constantly having to like dye his hair 
And apparently because he was doing it so much, his hair started falling out. And so after the film had finished, uh, I finished shooting, he actually just shaved it all off. So he, like, just a buzz cut. Um, and there's actually a mugshot in the film uh, on like a news report on telly. And it uses this, like a, the shaved look that he had after filming, which I thought was interesting. Um, but yeah, I think overall it's a great film. It's got a solid lead performance in it. Um, a little slightly anticlimactic ending, but I don't think it lets the film down in any way. Uh, well, I don't think it really... It, it, the film suffers greatly for it. Um, but yeah, moving on to the, the last and final film. Um, it is Goodfellas. Goodfellas, more like Badfellas, because it's bad. Yes, I said it. That's right. Uh, this follows the life of Henry Hill from the 1950s to the 1980s and the ups and downs of his gangster life. Uh, it came out in 1990, so I think it's the oldest film that I've, I've done so far. Uh, it had a $25 million budget, made $47 million, which I feel like isn't a lot. Maybe, because yeah, I hear about it a lot, so maybe it gained more traction afterwards. But anyway, it's got an 8.7 on IMDb and 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. I give it a 4 out of 10. I think I watched a completely different film to everyone else. Uh, I thought it was overly long uh, and it covers too much of a period of time. It goes all the way from like him practically being a kid to like him to spoiler for... Well, yeah, it's a 20... 30 year old, it's a 30 year old film at this point um but yeah like it goes from all the way to from him starting out in the 1950s to kind of the end of his gangster career in the 80s and i think it's it's just too much um i think that there is plenty of good elements and there's good potential in there but i think they just should have focused on a shorter period of time like last week i covered first man and i thought that was really good that covered a 10 year period of time and i thought that was brilliant um, and it focused on some like a big aspect of the life. It focused on the moon landing and stuff. So, um, whereas this, it just didn't focus on anything. Like there was a heist in there that you could have focused on. You could have focused on that in the aftermath. You could have focused on the later years and the problems and towards the end of his gangster life. Um, but yeah, I thought, I, I just thought it was, there's too much in there. And Henry Hill... This is his story, but he was one of the most boring characters in his own story. Like, I just thought it was it's so bizarre. And they use a lot of narration in this film. And everything's narrated very matter-of-factly. It's very much like, oh yeah, well this happened, and then this and then this guy got shot, and then there's a And so like I understand what they're doing because they're trying to normalise it and be like, yeah, they're desensitized to it now. But because they don't, there's no emotion in it, and there's no impact. There's no impact for you as an audience member. Like any emotional beats just seemed fake. Like you're watching it. There's a load of laughing in this film. They're all like around the table going ha ha ha, and it just seems fake. Like Ray Liotta, who's the main guy, he just seems like he's overacting and fake laughing. Like if you watch a clip online, he just seems like he's doing exactly what I did just then. And Robert De Niro has a little cry at one point and that seemed bad as well like robert de niro seemed bad in this film when he did some actual acting i it's just very strange i think this film is basically two and a half hours of lots of people in rooms talking um the and some of the weirdest things is that you come in like it'll start showing like the conversation that they're having part way through so you get half the conversation where you don't understand it. You know, a lot of the time they're talking really weirdly or mumbling and you can't understand what they're saying anyway. And then they'll just go, ha, ha, ha. And it's just ridiculous. Like, what are you, like, why? What are, you, are we supposed to be understanding what they're saying? It's just like, like, you don't understand it. And it doesn't really, a lot of the time, the stuff that they're talking about doesn't really matter. So why is it in there? I just, oh, it's bizarre. There is... Like I say, there are some good stuff in this. Like, there's a really good one-shot scene where Henry Hill goes into the Copacabana. He doesn't go in the front entrance. He goes in the back entrance or the side entrance through the kitchens and through the corridors. And he's shaking people's hands and he's going, oh, how you doing? How's the kids? Here's your payment. And he's talking to everybody. And, like, he's skipping cues. 
there's a table that's brought out specifically for him and like in his day and like he gets put at the front of the house and it really shows the privilege and the kind of in in quotation marks respect that everyone has for for gangsters and i thought that scene summed that up perfectly like that is that is exactly the sort of thing you get it gets across what they want in that one scene and it's perfect but they hammer that pound that pound they hammer that point down your throat so much it's mentioned numerous times in narration it's mentioned many other scenes that about the privilege and respect and that's why people are in it and like and you don't need all that it's already in that one scene um now those who have listened a little bit they will know that i love mia heist i love a heist film and there is a heist in this and i heard about the heist and i was like i'm very excited about this we're gonna see a heist we're gonna see some people doing some things and not just talking in a room and i thought this is gonna be the this is gonna be the most exciting part of the film but you don't see any of it you told the plan you don't even get to see them formulate the plan you just told the plan in about 30 seconds in over narration and then you hear on the radio that they stole the money while he's in the shower and you're like why what like the most interesting part of this film potentially and you've just glossed over it in a radio announcement what is what there's some bizarre choices in this film um I say this film is all people in rooms talking. Some It does show multiple people getting whacked, uh, as they call. Um, now, a lot of narration and a lot of points in this film basically were like, oh yeah, this is, this is, the, this is how stuff actually goes down. And like, when people are nice to you, that, like when people decide to whack you, they're nice to you. They don't get angry and shout at you and stuff. They're like really nice to you. So you to lull you in a false sense of security and like other films didn't show you that and so you said like but they tell you this so much again this is another thing that they just tell you over and over again that these things happen and it ruins stuff later on because you're supposed to be surprised later when a main character gets whacked but you've seen you've heard about it all all of the film and you've seen stuff and so you're expecting it like you, you're automatically like, oh yeah, well this guy's gonna get whacked, and then, and then like especially because they're talking about this celebration loads before you're like, oh well he's clearly gonna get whacked, like and the, so you're clearly not surprised, so there's no emotional impact, and then Robert De Niro has a little cry, and you're like, well you should have been expecting it, whether like you've been telling us, oh, never mind. Um, Henry Hill's wife in this I thought was interesting. Her introduction was good. Um, she actually did some narration and gave a different perspective, which I thought was interesting. I thought you get, I was like, oh, this is interesting. You're going to get some dual narrative. Uh, maybe you get some kind of differing perspectives. Maybe there's actual like differing stories and things. But you don't really follow her much after that. She gets like two little bits of narration and she is in it, but she's like, it's still all from his perspective. And I feel that that was a missed opportunity. Um, like, they have a questionable relationship. He he is a bad guy, obviously, um, and he does a lot of bad stuff. And especially to her, like he cheats and whatever and blah blah blah. And after everything that happens, you kind of you don't really understand why they're together. And there's no real kind of quiet moments where you see them together as a couple and where they're like you feel that emotion you feel the connection and the love between them you're like oh maybe that's why why she's staying there's none of that and she just gets pulled into this lifestyle and you just don't see how or why um i think this film was like it's lauded and people love it and i think maybe at the time it was revolutionary or amazing but i don't think this has aged well and I, like this is the, my first time of seeing it uh and it's 30 years after it originally came out and so since then we've obviously had a lot of similar kinds of films and similar points and things and so stuff isn't that surprising or revolutionary now but i still don't think that i would have enjoyed it as 
more. I maybe would have enjoyed it more at the time. Obviously, not at the time because I was minus two years old at that point. But if I had been the age I am now, then and had watched it, I think I would have enjoyed it more. But I didn't, and so I didn't. Um, but as always, we've got some interesting facts. Um, just like in Good Time, they uh, they used some real cops and real people. They used some real people in this. They used some actual mobsters uh, that were hired. They were hired for for some scenes. And the weird thing is that they gave fake social security numbers. Uh, so nobody knows how they were paid, which is I think is a weird thing. Um, at the time of release in 1990, it, uh, had, it held the record for the most profanity of any film. Um, in the actual script, uh, there was only supposed to be 70 occurrences of profanity. But uh, in the final cut, it totaled 321, um, mainly because, uh, well, because of improvisation, basically. A lot of stuff was improvised in rehearsals, apparently, and then script re- script changes were done, like, on the day or whatever. Um, but in 2020, uh, it's now only the 15th most uh, profanity in a film. Um, I don't know what their highest is. Uh, I know The Wolf of Wall Street, which is another... Martin Scorsese film is number three, um, but I don't know why it's actually number one. Um, and lastly, Ray Liotta, uh, the main guy, the the fake laugher. Um, I don't I don't want to criticize like well I'm criticizing his performance in this, but as a guy I, I, I don't want to criticize him. But Ray Liotta, the fake laugher, he recorded his voiceover uh, for the narration with someone else in the room uh, to help him tell the story. Now, I'm sat in a room on my own, and I'm managing to talk to someone, and I'm not a professional actor, so I understand why he's doing it. I definitely know that it, it would be easy to talk to someone if there was someone else here, but, I mean, you get paid to do a job, like, you're an actor, like, act, I don't know, whatever. Um, but, to sum this film up, I didn't like it. It's overrated, um, and I can't really understand why everyone loves it so much, but I'm in uh, each that are on. Now we're talking about a film that wasn't. Um, so this is where I, I take a film that uh, was either went into production or pre-production. There was some some development on a film, but ultimately uh, it didn't get made in the end. Um, and this week we're going a little bit different. Um, we're going for a. I was going to say for a, but it's for an animated film. Uh, and that animated film is Newt. Is it Newt or Newt? Newt or Newt? I don't know how you say it. I'd probably say Newt. Yeah, I'd probably say Newt rather than Newt. But whichever, whichever way that you say it is is the correct way. Um, this was announced back in 2008. Um, and it is a, it was a, it was supposed to be a Pixar film. Um, I've got the... Uh, I've got the announcement here. Uh, they said, What happens when the last remaining male and female blue-footed newts on the planet are forced together by science to save the species? And they can't stand each other. That's the problem facing Newt and Brooke, heroes of Newt. The Pixar film by seven-time Academy Award winner for sound, Gary Ridstrom, and director of Pixar's Oscar-nominated short, Lifted. Uh, Newton Brook embark on a perilous, unpredictable adventure and discover that finding a mate never goes as planned, even when you only have one choice. Love, it turns out, is not a science. Um, so, uh, firstly, I never really noticed this, but in this film called Newt, the main character is called Newt, and he's a Newt. So that was like if you made a film about people and you called the the like the main character human. It's very strange. Like the female's got an actual name, Brooke, but why is the why is the male called Newt? Newt, I don't know. Anyway, um, so they talked about so so Gary Ridstrom uh, was was going to direct it. Um, he directed uh, the little short Lifted. I've seen it. It's very funny. It's very good. Go watch it. It's on Disney Plus. Um, he also worked on Toy Story: A Bug's Life, Toy Story Two, Monsters Inc., Finding Nemo as the sound guy sound mixer recording mixer something like that um so this guy's been embedded in pixar uh pretty much since the start 
Um, and if Pixar chose him uh, to direct a feature film, then he is capable. Then I had no doubt that he was very capable of doing it. Um, I, like I said, I sort of lifted, and I think that he would be, he was fine. He, he will be able to do it. Um, I think the plot in itself is not necessarily the most imaginative story, but it definitely has potential. Um, Ed Catmull, who is the P- Pixar president, Pixar pre- what is going on today with my speech? Anyway, Ed Catmull, the Pixar president, uh, he explained that most Pixar stories suck at first and a lot of work is needed to make a good film out of them. Um, so I, I have no doubt that this probably would have been a good film. Um, but I think the premise at the start is is kind of a bit sucky. And Ed Catmull has said that most of them are a bit sucky. So uh, it's fine. all fine. Uh, this was scheduled to come out in 2011. But then it was pushed back to 2012. Uh, Cars 2 instead came out in 2011. Um, it's not too worrying. Uh, a lot of films get pushed back fairly frequently. But it was then pushed back again. Uh, and the worrying part of this is that no date was given uh, on when it would then come out. Brave is took its place and came out in 2012. Um, but I've written here, time to worry. Uh, Rumours had it that, um, that the second pushback was because of a little film that in all that came out in 2011 uh, DreamWorks I think it's DreamWorks DreamWorks is a Blue Sky animation film came out in 2011 called Rio let me read to you the plot summary of Rio set in the magnificent magnificent city of Rio de Janeiro and the lush rainforest of Brazil the comedy adventure centres on Blue a rare macaw who thinks he's the last of his kind when Blue discovers there's another and that she's as she he leaves the comforts of his cage in small town Minnesota and heads to Rio but it's far from love at first sight between the domesticated and flight-challenged blue and the fiercely independent high-flying female jewel. Unexpectedly thrown together, they embark on, a, on an adventure of a lifetime where they learn about friendship, love, courage, and being open to life many wonders. Does that plot sound familiar to you? It sounded familiar to me because it seems like it's pretty much the same as Newt. And you know who else thought it sounded familiar? John Lasseter, Pixar Chief Creative Officer, um, he said at the time that Newt's story was very similar to a movie that's out in theatres right now with a blue parrot. Oh my! Wow, we were like, no, there's no uh, great minds think alike, I guess. It was really pretty similar. Um, So, um, I mean, films come out all the time that have got similar plots. I mean, they had a White House Down and uh, Olympus Has Fallen. Um, Deep Impact Armageddon there's loads of things like that that come out at the same time that have got the same plot so I don't think it necessarily would have hurt I think I've, I think Newt would have done better than Rio anyway I think people uh, have more stock in Pixar than DreamWorks films anyway um, and they're the big dog it's it like that Ghost Soldiers film that I talked about the other week Spielberg stepped back because there was another film that was going to be but Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise stepped back because some of the unknown names were making a film about the same thing. Absolute nonsense. Um, um, so Newt sat on a shelf for a bit uh, until Pixar decided to bring in some fresh blood to revitalize the project. Uh, project. Project. Uh, this had happened in the past. Uh, Ratatouille um, had been uh, languishing in development hell for a little bit. Um, and they brought in the... Incredibles director Brad Bird uh, to breathe new life into it um, and he replaced Jan Pinkava um, so it's not unheard of that uh, Pixar would do that um, and it's uh, from the looks of it it still looked like they were intending to kind of get a new made just give it a little bit of breathing room from Rio so uh, people don't kind of put them lump them together um, they brought in a guy called Pete Doctor um, I say a guy, I, I've heard of him. They brought in this guy, Pete Doctor, um, who um, he directed Monsters, Inc. and Up at this point. Um, so he's obviously had experience working on Pixar films. They obviously know who he is. They they trust him. Um, Monsters, Inc. and Up are two terrific Pixar films. Um, Pete Doctor, he liked what they had. 
uh, with Newt, but he also had his own idea for a film. Uh, and this, his idea was a film about the feelings inside a girl's head. Um, does that sound familiar to you? It sounds very familiar to me. It should sound familiar to you. Um, because um, it, it got made. Uh, Pixar decided that they liked that idea better than Newt. And so Inside Out uh, came out. Um, it came out in 2015. It made $857 million off a $175 million budget. And it got a 98% on Rotten Tomato. So I think it's fair to say Pixar made a good call. Um, I mean, Inside Out is such a unique and interesting premise. I, and I think it's one of the best Pixar films. I might even put it in my top three. I'm just trying to run through some of them in my head. I, I just love all of them, a lot of them. Um, cars can probably get in the bin, but I think everything else is pretty good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd I'd love for it to be made. They haven't really said anything about it since. Um, like I say, anything that Pixar makes usually is very good at its worst. Uh, looking at you, cars. But I mean, maybe they'll come back to it. I don't know. Um. It is the only Pixar feature film that hasn't actually been made. It's the only one that got cancelled. Um, I guess there's no reason why they couldn't come back to it, but obviously they were having some sort of, some sort of issues uh, with sort of writing it and trying to be... Because I think, I think they, they want to kind of be a bit unique, but I don't know. I think maybe in, in this sort of age where they're kind of leaning more heavily on doing some sequels and stuff. I say that. Onward uh, came out earlier this year, and I think Soul is supposed to come out uh, later this year as well so um i don't know i think that there's a lot that they're working on um especially with disney plus right now that it could be a possibility that they could put it out on that but who knows um like i say i'd love to see it um i think it looked really good there is some concept art online if you if you google it and i think it looks really cool i think the, the uh blue feet looks quite fun Moving on to Quick Fic, which is the final part of our show. Um, for those that aren't aware, this is where I take one of 20 characters and place it in them in one of 20 franchises and try to make a prequel, sequel, spin-off or reboot of them. Um, I think we've had Buzz Lightyear in Indiana Jones. We've had the Predator in Star Trek. Um, but yeah, so we'll see what we get this week. Let's, let's have a look at what uh, kind of film we're making. We're making a reboot. We're rebooting something. We're rebooting something with Robocop. Robocop has been in the reboot of James Bond. Oh, this is just written, sort of. So, I think, I feel like the big question here is... So, you're taking the character of Robocop and putting him in James Bond. But... To have the character of Robocop, do you, like, do you, I was going to say, do you have, like, ah, uh, maybe Robocop, maybe James Bond, like, obviously, the answer is James Bond is Robocop, but do you have it like Robocop where he was involved in some horrific action and he, there was like he was barely functional as a person he only had like a few organs that worked and an arm or something and he's put in this robot skeleton or do you have it where because obviously Q is going to make it or do you have it where it's just a suit um but if it's just a suit why would you need it uh or do you have Robocop as a villain or a henchman? Or do you have Robocop as a someone that works within MI6 and with uh, James Bond? But I don't know. I think all of those ideas are good. I think you could definitely get... You could you would be rebooting it. Rebooting James Bond because you'd have... You would then probably make the villains and every plots more technology based, and there's probably more robotics in it, um, and more. So you'd could be going more sci-fi, but you'd still have that sort of spy espionage thing going on. 
Um, but yeah, I think I don't know the options. There's, there's plenty of options there. I think having RoboCop as a villain would be interesting, but obviously I don't think that works with that character. You could put like Ed Two O Nine in there or something, but I think as a villain. But I think your options are either RoboCop is James Bond is RoboCop, but James Bond in himself is quite capable. So and in order to do sleuthing and stuff, Robo like Robocop stands out massively. So it it will be hard for him to seduce some bed women as Robocop is my main thinking. But he'd also it, it he'd be massive yeah, like I say, it'd just be massively noticeable. But I mean James Bond is He's notorious for giving out his actual name. So, and everyone notices him anyway. So, I don't think it'd make a lot of difference. But we could get the amazing line of the name's cop, Robo Cop, which I think will be amazing. Uh, so, I kind of want James Bond to be Robo Cop just so he can have that happen. Um, but yeah, I think. I think the other option of having him as someone else at MI6 and have it is almost like a pair of them that go out and one's like the backup, like he's the backup to, it's almost like a buddy cop thing. Um, but they're spies and work for MI6. Um, I think that also could work. Um, but yeah, let me know what you think. Uh, if you've got any other ideas, um, you feel free to uh send them to me on twitter at film nope wrong one uh feel free to send them on twitter at all out walker all out walker um feel free to do that if you uh if you've got any ideas not necessarily just about this if there's any films that you want to talk about if there's any uh any of the the good films uh that you want to talk about or uh if you if you you are planning on going back to the cinema and what you plan on going to see um but yeah you can also uh email me at filmmeuppod at outlook.com um thank you very much for listening i don't know whether i say that but i do appreciate it um and i will see you next week with set h and for a sneak peek at what sort of films i will be looking at then uh, i will be tweeting out on monday uh the three films that i'll be I'll be uh, doing for set eight, so you can uh, watch along or not. It's up to you. Um, thank you very much, and I'll see you next week. Goodbye.